welcome to September's Solving History. I'm Emily. And I'm Gemma. This time we are looking at the murders of Andrew and Abby Borden, who were murdered on the 4th of August 1892. Andrew's daughter Lizzie was arrested, tried and ultimately acquitted of their murders. But her innocence is still debated. But before we get started, just a warning for mentions of blood, gore and possible abuse. So before we get on to the murders, we need a little bit of background about the Borden family, which consisted of Andrew and his second wife, Abby, and his two daughters from his first marriage, Emma and Lizzie. The family lived at 232 2nd Street, Fall River, Massachusetts. Andrew was a successful businessman and at the time of his death was worth around $300,000, which is around $8 million in today's money. Despite this, he was notoriously frugal and money was said to be a cause of tension in the family. Were they um, quite a close family? Do we know? I mean, like most families, they had their issues and tensions in the house have been growing in the months before the murders. What were the cause of these tensions? There are several alleged reasons for the tensions. First... It was said that three months before the murders, Andrew had killed a number of pigeons in his barn with a hatchet, as he believed they had been attacking local children. This was said to have greatly upset Lizzie, who had built a roost for the pigeons. However, there's some question over whether this actually happened. Second, in July, a family argument saw both Borden sisters taken, quote, extended vacation to New Bedford. Lizzie returned to Fall River a week before the murders, but chose to stay in the local lodging house for four days before moving back to the family home. Cause of the argument is speculated on, but many suggest money was at its root. Speaking of money issues, it was said that Lizzie didn't like her stepmother, as she believed she had only married her father for his money. Furthermore, the Borden sisters were said to have been unhappy about Andrew's gifts of real estate to various members of Abby's family. Sounds pretty tense. I mean, I wouldn't want to be in that household with all that going on. Right. And it didn't help that in the days leading up to the murders, everyone in the Borden household became violently ill. Abby was said to have feared it was a deliberate poisoning as, quote, Andrew had not been a popular man. However, a family friend later said it was caused by the mutton which had been left on the stove for use in meals over the days that followed. Okay, so what happened on the day of the murders? To tell the story accurately, we have to start the night before. So the night before the murders, the family were joined by the girl's uncle, John Morse, who was there to discuss business matters with Andrew. Now, remember I said money was the cause of tension? Well, some have speculated that his visit and the discussion of property transfers didn't exactly help create harmony. Anyway... John spent the night and then after joining the family for breakfast and spending an hour or so with Andrew, he left at 8.48am. Shortly after this, Emma left to visit friends and at around 9am, Andrew left for his morning walk. This left Abby, Lizzie and their maid Maggie alone in the house. Lizzie had told Maggie of a department store sale and gave her permission to go. However, Maggie was still feeling unwell from the bad mutton slash possible poisoning and instead decided she'd go take a nap in her third floor bedroom. Sometime between 9.30 and 10.30am Abby went upstairs to change the bed in the guest room. 
Now, this was unusual, as this was normally a chore for Emma or Lizzie. But whatever it was that made her go upstairs, this was where the killer found her. The forensic investigation into her death showed Abby had been facing her killer when the first blow struck struck her on the side of the head, cutting her just above the ear and knocking her face first into the floor. While she was on the ground, she was struck in the head a further 17 times. Andrew returned from his walk at around 10.30am and sat and settled down for a nap on the sofa. This is where the killer found him and struck him 11 times with the axe. Maggie, who was upstairs, was awoken at 11.10am by Lizzie, who was shouting, quote, Maggie, come quick. Father's dead. Somebody's come in and killed him. Arriving downstairs, Maggie was sent to fetch a neighbour who was a doctor. However, he was not at home, and so she went for another neighbour. By the time the commotion had alerted the neighbours who called the police. I mean, that sounds extremely chaotic. So what happened once the police were called and then arrived? It took the police an hour to arrive. Once they got there and saw Andrew's body, they searched downstairs for signs of an intruder, but didn't find anyone. Hang on, what about Abby in this situation? Well, it wasn't the police, but Adelaide Churchill, a neighbour, who had come to comfort Lizzie, who discovered Abby's body. Upon examination, it was discovered that whilst Andrew's body was still warm, Abby's was cold, suggesting that she was killed over an hour before her husband. So you're saying that she, that Lizzie didn't go and look for her stepmother after finding her dad dead? So Lizzie claimed that she had not thought to look for her stepmother because she had received a note asking her to visit a sick friend. Despite the house being searched, there was no trace of a note ever found. I don't know, that still sounds a little bit suspicious. It does. Maybe she was too frightened to look around the house. I mean, like if you thought somebody was like loitering with an axe, would you want to go looking round? No. No. Probably not. But also, I probably just would have straight up said that. Yeah, Lizzie didn't do herself any favours when it came to being upfront with her story. No. So... Obviously, they've now got two victims. Did they? Did the police suspect Lizzie as a, a suspect straight away? No, originally it was thought the murders had been carried out by a, quote, Portuguese labourer who had visited the Borden home that morning to ask for the wages he was owed. But Andrew told him he had no money and to call back later. Furthermore, medical evidence suggested that Abby had been killed, quote, by a tall man who struck the woman from behind. However, two days later, reports began to appear in the press suggesting that Lizzie was to blame. What made them suspicious of her then? First, Ely Bentz, a clerk at SR Smith's drugstore, told police that, quote, Lizzie visited the store the day before the murder and attempted to purchase prussic acid which is also known as cyanide, a deadly poison. Second, people, including the press, began talking about the dislike Lizzie had for her stepmother. Investigators came to believe that the murders had been committed by someone inside the house and doubted the alibi Lizzie had given. She claimed that she'd been in the barn looking for fishing weights. However, when the police searched the barn, there was no footprints on the dusty floor, but... Just remember that for later. 
Perhaps the most damning was the testimony from Maggie, who claimed that when Andrew returned from his walk, he had been unable to enter the house and was so and so was forced to knock and wait for her to open the door. When she went to open it, it was jammed, which caused her to utter an expletive, and she heard a laugh from the top of the stairs, which she attributed to Lizzie. This is significant because if Lizzie was on the second floor, she would have seen Abby's body. Lizzie later denied being upstairs, and it's important to state that Maggie admitted she hadn't seen Lizzie, but thought the laugh sounded like hers. Lizzie didn't help herself. She told police she had removed her father's boots and helped him into his slippers before leaving him to take a nap on the sofa. But as crime scene photos showed, Andrew was still wearing his boots when, when he was killed. What motives would Lizzie have had for the murders? People speculate on the motives and theories even now. Some of the most popular ones are firstly money. As I said, Andrew had a reputation for being frugal. In fact, the Borden family didn't have indoor plumbing, which was common for other wealthy families of the time. Plus, after the murders, both Borden sisters inherited a handsome sum. Another theory is that Lizzie was being abused physically and sexually by her father. Now, also, there's no actual proof of this, and people are divided. The murders were brutal, and it's been suggested that it showed an anger that had built up over years. In fact, Marcia R. Carlyle believes Lizzie was driven to commit the murders because of battered woman syndrome. Battered woman syndrome is where a mental disorder develops in cases of ongoing abuse and often ends in them committing acts of violence against those who hurt them. It's suggested that Abby had been beaten savagely because she knew and, quote, turned a blind eye to the abuse. Of course, there's no proof, but then this kind of abuse was rarely talked about, and back then, battered women's syndrome wasn't even known. Another theory is that Lizzie was in a relationship with David Anthony, and the two wanted to marry, but Andrew wouldn't allow it. Some, as I'll talk about in a bit, have even speculated that David committed the murders and Lizzie helped him. Okay, so Lizzie's now a suspect. What happens next? The inquest into the murders began on the 9th of August and two days later, Lizzie was arrested for the murder of her father and stepmother. She entered a plea of not guilty and the case went to the grand jury. Grand jury met in November and initially they refused to issue an indictment. However, this changed after the testimony of Alice Russell a family friend who had stayed with the two Borden sisters in the days following the murders. She claimed that she saw Lizzie burning a blue dress in the kitchen fireplace and that when she questioned her about it, Lizzie replied, quote, it was covered in old paint. Now, this was significant as Maggie had testified that Lizzie was wearing a blue dress on the morning of the murders and this was enough to change their minds and return an indictment for murder. That's not her main trial, though, right? No, that began on the 5th of June, 1893, in the New Bedford Courthouse. Lizzie's defence team was made up of Andrew Jennings and George Robinson. They were up against District Attorney Knowlton and Thomas Moody for the prosecution. During his two-hour-long opening speech, Moody described how Lizzie was the only person who had both a motive and the opportunity to commit the murders. 
he pulled the head of the axe from a bag, claiming it was a murder weapon, and carelessly threw Lizzie's blue frock on the prosecution table, where it opened to reveal the skulls of Andrew and Abby Borden. According to a newspaper account, the sight of her parents' skulls caused Lizzie to, quote, fall into a faint that lasted for several minutes. I can't say her blame on that one. I probably would have fainted too. Maggie was one of the most important witnesses for the state, and she testified that Lizzie was the only person she saw in the home at the time of the murders. However, she also aided Lizzie's defence when she said that in her two years with the Borden family, she had not witnessed the signs of the rumoured strained relationship between Lizzie and her stepmother. Other state witnesses, such as Hannah H. Clifford, refuted this and claimed Lizzie had called her stepmother mean and good for nothing. John Fleet, the assistant marshal of Fall River, recalled that when he interviewed Lizzie shortly after the murders, she had corrected him when he called Abby her mother. Quote, she was not my mother, sir. She was my stepmother. My my mother died when I was a child. Alice Russell's testimony was said to be the most compelling. She described that Lizzie had visited her the night before the murders and had told her that she was, quote, afraid something is going to happen and that she wanted to go to sleep with one eye open half the time for fear somebody might burn the house down or or hurt her father because he was so discourteous to people. Moody then began to question her about the dress burning incident and she repeated what she had said to the grand jury. However, in cross-examination, defence attorney George Robinson, someone attempting to destroy incriminating evidence, would not do so in such an open fashion. Furthermore, Russell also recounted a conversation she had had with Lizzie about the supposed note Abby had received telling her to, about the sick friend, which had never been recovered. And Russell claimed that when she sarcastically suggested to Lizzie that her mother might have burned the note, Lizzie replied, quote, yes, she must have. A crucial moment in the trial came when the three-judge panel ruled that the testimony Lizzie gave during the inquest could not be used. They concluded that at the time of the testimony, Lizzie was, quote, for all practical purposes, a prisoner charged with two murders and that her testimony at the inquest made in the absence of her attorney was not voluntary. The prosecution suffered a further loss when they were blocked from having Eli Bentz, the chemist who Lizzie supposedly tried to buy poison from, testify. They rested their case on the 14th of June. The defence only called a handful of witnesses, Charles Guilford and Uriah Kirby testified they had seen a strange man near the Borden house around 11pm the night before the murders and Dr Benjamin Hardy testified that he saw, quote, a pale-faced young man near the house on the 4th of August. Remember Lizzie's alibi from before that she was in the barn but the police found no sign anyone had been in there recently? Well, a plumber and a gas fitter were called to testify that in the two days before the murder, they had both been inside the Borden barn, so there must have been footprints. Emma Borden was the most anticipated witness. She testified that Lizzie had a good relationship with their father and that the relationship between Lizzie and Abby was cordial, but admitted to feeling resentment that her father had given what she called grandfather's house to Abby and her sister. When summing up for the defence, A.B. Jennings argued that, quote, there is not one piece of direct evidence in this case from beginning to end against Lizzie A. Borden. 
There is not a spot of blood. There is not a weapon that may have been connected to her in any way, shape or fashion. And further claimed that it would have been impossible for Lizzie to commit the murders without getting blood on herself and laughed of the prosecution's claim that she committed the crime stark naked to avoid blood spatter. The jury deliberated for half an hour before returning their verdict of not guilty. Lizzie was soon joined by her sister, her counsel and courtroom spectators, who all rushed to congratulate her. So what happened after the trial? So after the trial, Lizzie randomly returns to Fall Rivers, where she and Emma lived together in an impressive house, which they called Maplecroft. However, Emma moved out of Maplecroft in 1905, but Lizzie continued to live there until her death in 1927, aged 67. And I say it was a bit of a random choice. Like, I listened to a podcast recently called Haunted Road with Amy Bruni, and she was saying that like Lizzie's neighbours didn't speak to her. People avoided her. And it was like doubly sad because she and her sister had always been super close, but they fell out and they didn't talk from from the time Emma left in 1905 until Lizzie's death in 1927. They didn't speak again. That is a bit strange. The trial's also kind of strange as well because it's all very circumstantial evidence. Yeah, I mean... Supposedly, she killed two people, and so uh, Andrew was struck 11 times, and Abby was struck 17 times with an axe. There's no way you're doing that and not getting blood on yourself. Yeah. And she would have only had minutes at most to clean up before Maggie came down the stairs. Yeah, and she also could come down the stairs at any point during that. Yeah, I mean, it is argued that she tried to get Maggie out of the house by telling her about the sale and giving her permission to go. Yeah. But it's still quite the risk. Definitely. And I don't think in a couple of minutes you're not, like, getting blood from underneath your fingernails, you know. No. Making sure there's not a spot of it in your hair. Yeah, it's, it's not like she could jump in a power shower. No. And also... If she was trying to clean up the murder scene, why is Maggie not saying, oh, it's also really weird that Lizzie was in a completely different dress? Yeah, I mean, maybe there was another reason Lizzie got changed in the time that Maggie was taking a nap. You know, there is a gap. And if she'd been in the barn looking for fishing weights, which was her alibi, yeah, then maybe she got dirty doing that. Yeah. There are definitely holes. Yeah, and the fact that no murder weapon was found. Well, they they found an axe or what they thought was the murder weapon. But also the whole theatrics of the opening statement. Yeah. There's no way they were real skulls thrown onto the table. Well, you'd hope not. I'd hope not, yeah. But would they have been skulls that quickly unless they, like, boiled them or something? No. No. They they would have had to have had flesh removed. So, yeah, it's a bit odd. And the jury made a very quick not guilty decision. Yeah. 
although her neighbours kind of shunned her and were a little bit hesitant of her, um, most people agreed with the verdict yeah. that it, it wasn't her. I'm not a criminologist or, you know, anything. It seems weird that she went from no signs of violence to battering two people to death with an axe. Yeah. So were there other suspects? The first was John Morse. It was suggested that he and Andrew argued as John had lost money in a joint livestock venture. He could have come back into the house unseen after leaving and killed Andrew and Abby in anger or as some suggest, in the hopes his nieces would be generous with their inheritance. The next suspect is David Anthony. I briefly mentioned David earlier. It was said that he wanted to marry Lizzie, but Andrew refused, and so he, quote, took action to liberate Lizzie from their, meaning Abby and Andrew's, strict control. Some believe he acted alone, whilst others suggest Lizzie either helped or planned the attack. Next, we have Doc Bowen, who lived across the street from the Borden family and was the family doctor. Some of his actions could be seen as suspect. First, he was one of the first people on the scene and, quote, was in a good position to remove the murder weapon from the house. He quickly medicated Lizzie, which led some to suggest that he was trying to protect her from interrogation. Why would he do that? It's believed that he felt very sympathetic towards Lizzie. He would often, quote, attend church with her, unchaperoned whenever her family was out of town. Some even suggest that he and Lizzie acted together in the murders. There isn't any proof, but an anonymous letter dated December 1892 said, quote, on the day of the murder, I was coming towards Fall River. I met Dr. Bowen and a young man in a carriage driving so fast that I thought at the time someone was dying. I am well acquainted with him, but I never saw him look so wild. It was about 15 minutes to 11. The doctor had hold of the reins with both hands, driving for dear life. Of course, he was a doctor, so who's to say he wasn't rushing to aid a patient, or if the letter is even real? So our next possible suspect is Hiram Harrington, Andrew Borden's brother-in-law. During questioning, Lizzie said that he and her father had fallen out and not spoken for several years. However, when questioned, Harrington placed suspicion firmly on Lizzie. Quote, when the perpetrator of this foul deed is found, it will be one of the household. I had a long talk with Lizzie yesterday, Thursday, the day of the murder, and I am not at all satisfied with her statement or demeanour. Next, we have William S. Borden who was believed to be Andrew Borden's illegitimate son, who was angry with his father over money issues. Those who suggest this theory also suggest that Lizzie took pity and helped him cover it up. Next we have Bridget Sullivan, also known as Maggie, the Borden family maid. After the trial, she moved to Montana, never talking about the case until she was on her deathbed, where she told her friend, Minnie Green, quote, that she liked Lizzie and often took her part during the troubles in the house and that she helped Lizzie out at the trial. Hollywood suggested there's a romantic element to her relationship with Lizzie, but there's never been any proof to this, although rumours of Lizzie Borden being attracted and having relationship relationships with women, there, there are a few of those. Lastly, Emma Borden. Emma was 41 at the time her father and stepmother were murdered. 
And some believe that it was her tumultuous relationship with her father that drove her to kill her, to kill him. Neither she nor Lizzie got along with their stepmother and both had repeated arguments with their father over property, inheritance and money. Furthermore, it suggested that Emma was in love with a man who was of a, quote, lower status. And so Andrew refused to allow them to marry. But what do you think? There's a lot of these reasons that are coming down to money, which, you know, it could be anyone. I don't think it's anyone that's in the house because just the lack of being able to get cleaned up. Well, Emma wasn't in the house. Mm. She was off visiting a friend. So she, she, if we played devil's advocate, she could have done it and then gone off and got changed and come back clean by the time true. she was brought back to the house. Very true. It could have been both of the sisters together. It could. That's definitely a theory. I mean, 41 is quite old to not be married. Yes. And she, she did marry um, after the trial. So was her father standing in her way? It still seems a very vicious way to do it. Yes. I could almost, if, if they'd been poisoned, poison is a woman's weapon. Yeah. And that's not, that's nothing new. That's throughout history that comes up. Yeah. But taking an axe to two people, that's, that's extreme. That doesn't feel like a premeditated murder weapon. This idea that, uh, Lizzie had tried buying poison the day before the murders. Wasn't allowed in at trial mm. because it, it just wasn't strong enough. Didn't they also use that as like rat poison and stuff though? They did, yeah. So she could have had a completely... Um... If, if she tried to buy it, she could have had a legitimate reason. Yeah. I do wonder though whether... Some of the reason she was acquitted is because she was a woman, mm. and people couldn't wrap their head around a little like we're doing now around the idea of a woman taking an axe to her parents. Yeah, yeah. I think because it's so violent, it makes it harder to believe. Yeah, but as always, we want to know what you think. So let us know in the comments who you think killed the Bordens and why. Next month, we have so many podcasts coming your way that it would take too long to list. Didn't we count a 13? We did. 13 for spooky season. Exactly. So until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.